This is the Going in Circles podcast, hosted by Horseman Chuck Simon. To become a sponsor, to suggest topics, or for questions, email goingincirclespodcast at gmail.com. And log on to our Facebook page, Going in Circles Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Simon. Welcome to Going in Circles Looks Back. This is going to be a weekly feature on our podcast where we take a look back at some of the great horses, races, and people of the past with a particular emphasis on those who might not uh, be talked about much anymore and, and have kind of been lost to history a little bit. I mean, everybody knows about Secretariat and Seattle Slough and and the famous horses, the Triple Crown horses especially. And the history of the Triple Crown is one of the few areas where the the sport of racing hasn't really forgotten its past. It's it's very much steeped in tradition as the wild protests over the changing of the distance at, of the Belmont this year have proven. But there's so many other great horses and great races that, that just, they're not brought up. There's no real um, official industry database that allows us to look at the past performances, which are like the stats in baseball or, or basketball. As before 1992, the data is very, very spotty. And tonight's episode, we're joined by one of the legendary jockeys of, uh, of all time, basically. One of the, the all-time greats, uh, the Hall of Famer Pat Day, is going to join us. And, and we're going to talk about 1987. He won the Eclipse Award that year and, and, and had a, a, a great year, and as he often did uh, during basically the heyday of his career. But um, we're going to look back at a few horses in particular that maybe don't get the, uh, the love that, uh, that they should, and, and certainly had they raced in today's uh, atmosphere with social media, with, we live in the age of information. <laughs> a lot of the information is suspect, but uh, nevertheless... Um, we're talking about a few horses that uh, did some interesting things. We're going to talk to Pat about a horse named Gulch. And most people these days would know Gulch from his time at uh, Old Friends Retirement Home in Kentucky, where he was one of the, the famous residents before passing a few years ago. And maybe they would recall him as being the 1988 sprint champion, he won the Breeders' Cup on a sloppy day at, at uh, Churchill Downs. But the year before, he was a three-year-old that had been very accomplished as a two-year-old. And coming into the the year was, was one of the horses that was expected to be uh, among the top three-year-olds and certainly the the Triple Crown season, he, he was 
to be a big factor. And he didn't really, he didn't hit the board in any of the Triple Crown races, though he ran in all three of them. But kind of playing off of a subject that we covered on Tuesday about changes in the Triple Crown, in the middle of the Triple Crown, after the Preakness and before the Belmont, Gulch took a little detour on Memorial Day, and uh, he won the Met Mile while running in the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. It was um, it was something that we probably aren't going to see again. <laughs> well, we certainly aren't going to see again since Met Mile is now held on Belmont Day most years, not this year, but the race is coming up uh, this weekend, and I thought it was kind of interesting, and I wanted to get Pat's um, feelings about that particular race, and he, he only rode Gulch twice. He, he won the Met Mile on Gulch, and he finished third in the Belmont uh, on him, and 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 uh, he actually didn't ride him again. He never he never rode him in another race, but um, that was kind of a it was kind of an interesting detail in, in history of how he just kind of stopped off on the way to the Belmont on, at the Met Mile, and in recipient uh, he was the recipient of uh, eighteen pounds from the highway, which was Broadbrush, who was who was in at one twenty eight. Uh, Gulch, Pat was a lightweight, and, and whenever a horse got a weight like that, that was the jockey to go to because he could do the, the 110. He, he rode at about 108. So we uh, we talked to him about that. We talked to him about a horse named Java Gold, who was probably a, um, an injury away from being three-year-old and probably horse of the year. And... Uh, he was a late season three-year-old who won the Whitney in a race which Gulch was second in. That's right. As three-year-olds, Java Gold and Gulch ran 1-2 in the Whitney, beating the aforementioned Broadbrush in recipient of 10 pounds that day. Java Gold was. Broadbrush carried 127. And he came back to win the Travers in one of the most... Uh, star-studded Travers Fields of, of any year beating um, the Triple Crown victors Ali Sheba and Bet Twice and also that field was um, was was stacked with with um, with stars uh, a horse from Cold Tempered Sill was Charlie Whittingham's top three-year-old that year. And uh, he f- came in from the West Coast with Bill, Bill Shoemaker. He'd won the swaps leading up to the Travers. Gulch, as we had talked about, was, was in there. A horse named Crypto Clearance, who finished second in the, that year's Travers, uh, who was a, a, a really a, a good, hard-knocking horse who... Seemed like he finished second and third an awful lot, but he, he did win a bunch of great estate races. Uh, a horse named Polish Navy, who was uh, trained by Shug for the Phipses, who had won the Jim Dandy. Uh, a, a horse named Fortunate Moment, who was undefeated, six for six. He came in from the Midwest. Uh, he 
took a big step up in class and he was not uh he was not that caliber of horse as it turns out um bet twice who had won the belmont and the haskell going into the travers and and of course uh the the three-year-old champion that year and the derby and preakness winner who just got nipped in the breeders cup classic by ferdinand uh, ali sheba who did not handle the mud at all but we're going to talk to pat about that and uh some of his uh his other mounts of of note that year um and we're going to talk about one of them that didn't work out so good uh horse that um it was the favorite for the derby and he did not even finish so we'll be right back and uh pat day is going to join us and uh, we had a, a really interesting conversation i hope you enjoy it with us tonight we have a special guest um, Hall of Fame jockey, Pat Day. This is a, a racing podcast, so we won't do too much uh, explaining of who he is because you better know who he is because uh, he's certainly one of the the top jockeys of of the last century into this century. Uh, Pat, thank you for, for joining us tonight. Uh, thank you for having me on, Chuck. It's a pleasure. You know... Pat's a, a, a friend of mine, a personal friend, a, a mentor of sorts, and um, he also rode quite a few horses for me when uh, when I started training. And I can tell you that Pat had a lot of great attributes as a jockey. He, he sat very quietly on a horse. He he was uh, he had great hands. He, he seemed like the horses always he always had a little bit extra left. But the one thing I appreciated the most about Pat was. His honesty, and you say that like, well, what do you mean? Because a lot of times, jockeys, you know, trainers sometimes can be a little bit egotistical, <laughs> and some trainers don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear, you know, they want to hear, uh, you know, something other than the truth. But Pat always gave it to you straight, and um, I remember, you remember Lily, uh, you remember Lily T, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Uh. I claimed a horse who was by Lily T, a horse named Classy E.T. And you probably don't even remember this, but I claimed him off Lynn Whiting. He was a two-year-old. And we did, we did pretty good with him. And down in Florida, we had, we did pretty good in Kentucky. And uh, by that fall, we'd kind of run through conditions. And and I put him in at Keeneland for 50000 And you rode the horse. And he went off the favorite. And it was for Mr. Ramsey. And he won pretty easy. I think he won by four or five lengths and you really didn't have to get after him too much in the stretch he he, he won he won pretty nicely and you know back then when when Rams, even now when mr ramsey wins the race it's a it's a big cause for celebration but back then it was like a, a, a win at keeneland was like was like the derby i mean people would come from all over the place his relatives and the farm people there'd be 50 people in the winter circle and i remember you coming back you were you were walking back with the horse to the winter circle, and I remember you you looked down at, at his left leg and then on his right leg, and I noticed it. Now no one else was paying attention because they you know they were all looking at their tickets and stuff. And we took the wind picture, and we were we were walking back through the tunnel, and I, this was only like my second year of training horses, and um, I asked you, I said I saw you kind of looking down. How did he feel? Did he feel okay? And you looked up with a, with a dead straight face and said, 
not really. <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I said to you, um, I said, uh, well, like, not really, like, you won't ride him back? And you said, no, but I wouldn't be raising him in class. I'd probably be going the other way. <laughs> and lo and behold, we ran back at Churchill a couple weeks later, and, and we did drop him in class, and, and he got beat at, like, two to five and, and got claimed, and you, you were you were 100% right about that. And the funny thing was, like, he was a horse that we didn't train a lot in the morning. He, he did a lot of jogging because he wanted to run off all the time, so... You know, we'd pony him and he'd jog him, and he always seemed fine. But you telling me this because what he felt, you know, what you felt in a race where he was going full bore was totally different than what we had in the morning, and and that information was was really invaluable. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you didn't remember that. I mean, uh, no. As a matter of fact, I don't. But if if I was, uh, you know, I always always tried to be a team player. Too. That you were. Well, you always were, and you actually spoiled me because once you retired, it got harder for me. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that being said, uh, I, I wanted to talk to you. Tonight's podcast is really about the history of, of racing, and everybody knows about Secretariat and Seattle Slough and, and, and the great horses of, of, of the past, and the Triple Crown certainly uh, is kept alive every year, and, and, and people go back and talk about the races, and I think you won, what, nine Triple Crown races? Um, uh, yeah. Yep. But there was one year in particular that the Triple Crown wasn't, um, it, it was a memorable Triple Crown in, in a way, it, it was a, a really, a, an unbelievable crop of three-year-olds, and that was uh, 1987, where uh, Ali Sheba, who wound up being the three-year-old, the crown three-year-old of the year, um, he won the Derby and the Preakness, and, and if the Preakness, of course, was the, the race where Bet Twice came out in front of him, and he clipped heels and almost went down and, and still won, and then lost in the Belmont to Bet Twice. And, well, and, that, was, Chuck, that, was, uh, that was the Derby when Ali Sheba clipped Bet Twice. Right, okay, okay, right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. So, um... You know, and then Bet Twice turned the tables on them, and he uh, he beat them in the uh, the Belmont, and then in the Haskell as well. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a really good horse that you rode, and and I had forgotten that you had ridden this horse, and he was uh, a really a, a, a top two year old, um, but he he kind of was known as a horse that. Uh, had a lot of close calls, but he, he didn't win. He was second and third a lot. And that, that's a horse named Gulch. And, you know, I had a show the other day. We were talking about the Triple Crown. And on the telecast of the Belmont, uh, it was brought up by the commentators. You know, possibly maybe this is the, the time to, to change the Triple Crown around a little bit. And, you know, maybe add more spacing between the races and, and here and there, and and uh, and then you think about a horse named named like Gulch, who uh, who ran in all the Triple Crown Series races, and in between the Preakness Belmont, <laughs> managed to uh, to make a start in, in the Metropolitan Mile against older horses, carrying 110 pounds, uh, most of which was was 
Patrick Day, <laughs> and and he beat them, and and still came back and and ran uh, ran well in the Belmont. Um, yeah, he did. I think actually, I think he finished third in the Belmont and fourth in the Preakness, and and I think sixth in the Derby. So he progressively was getting closer. But um, what can you do? You you recall the the that that Met Mile that year because that that was a pretty a pretty salty field of horses he beat. Yeah, I, I, I want to say was it Broadbrush that ran second. Yeah, Broadbrush was the high He carried one hundred and twenty eight yeah. pounds. And and you uh, um, and and Gulch got in at at, uh, at one ten, which you could yeah, do. Three year olds against, yeah, three against older horses at that time of the year. He got a real break in the weight, and, and that's the reason why I got the mount was because um, I could make the weight. I could make one hundred and ten pounds. And um, yeah, he ran a ran a ran a big big race that day. I'm sure that the the weight uh, certainly helped him significantly. Uh, and then I and then he came back and he ran third in the in the Belmont. Uh, just beat Ellie Sheba. I think Ellie Sheba was fourth. Yeah, he was fourth, and and that was uh, that was the determining factor for Bet Twice getting the the triple crown bonus, because he had been second twice and he had won the Belmont, and and with Ellie Sheba finishing off the board, Bet Twice got the uh, I think it was the Chrysler triple crown bonus, and um, yeah, and that 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 was the last time they gave it out. <laughs> <laughs> so you have so you you played a role in that certainly by by being third in that race. But yeah, um, that was pretty remarkable. He he was a brilliant sprint horse. I mean, he, uh, you know, he, wasn't he, didn't he win the Breeders' Cup Juvenile as a two year old? He did. He uh, he he wound up being champion and, sprinter the following year. He won the Breeders' Cup uh, Sprint in nineteen eighty eighty. But uh, um, that was that mother, Wayne Lucas. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Wayne had taken over there. Yeah, Wayne Wayne took over and, and, and he ran him um in he kept running him in distance races in the spring of, of nineteen eighty eight. I think he finished second or third in the uh the um the Oaklawn handicap and and then then he turned him back and uh he, he really you know, he really thrived uh, sprinting as a as a four year old. But mm-hmm. but that was you know yeah, I think I, I just got to ride him those two times, the Met Mile and the Belmont. Right. Well, that that leads us kind of to um, the race that got me thinking about all this was was the Whitney in 1987. Uh, I, I just happened to be going through YouTube, and I looked at the uh, the 1987 Whitney. Uh, Chris Lincoln, who used to do a great job covering the races, they, it was about a six-minute clip, and... The Whitney that year, you won with with a horse named Java Gold, for uh, for Rokeby Stable Mac Miller, carrying 113 pounds. Uh, Gulch was second in the race, and it, lo- it looked like a winner, turning for home, and that was a, a another case of three year olds racing against older horses, and it's something that we just don't see anymore. Um, we just don't see it all uh, very often, I should say, and. And Broadbrush was was uh, unfortunately for him he was third in that race, uh, carrying 127 pounds. And the horse who was was fourth in that race was Gone West, who was also a, a three year old. Do you uh the, what about Java Gold? I, because he's a horse Pat that that people seem to have forgotten, and um, 
I mean, he seemed like he was as good as any of the horses of his generation. Uh, he was he was a pretty brilliant horse. Uh, I, I started riding him late in his two year old season, <clears throat> and uh, and then early in his three year old season. Well, throughout his well, most of his three year old season, I think I I think Randy Romero rode him one time in New York early in the year, and I wasn't I don't remember what the conflict was, but um, uh, yeah, Mac Miller done an excellent job with him. Uh, won the Whitney, and then come back and won the the Travers, um, you, and, and I think his last race was in the Jockey Club Gold Cup. Yeah, you won um, the Marlboro Cup, which was actually the last running of the Marlboro Cup uh, at right. Belmont before that, and then the Jockey Club Gold Cup where, where he got beat, you finished second to uh, Creme Fresh, who set a really, right. really Creme, slow pace in that yeah, race. Creme Fresh set all the pace that day. There was no pace at all in the race. Um, and, and, uh, Java Gold, uh, he was capable of, he, he could, he could finish the last quarter of a mile in 22 and change of 23 any day of the week. And, uh, uh, in, in the Jockey Club Gold Cup, I had Angel Cordero kind of, uh, trying to ride me a little bit and Creme Fresh just broke and went to the lead that day. I think Lafitte we'll rode him. Uh, yeah. Ben Kai, but, <laughs> but anyway... Uh, I just, you know, all that job of gold settled back, and I, I just felt com- comfortable and confident that when I pulled the trigger, he'd come home running at, at no time that I think we wouldn't get the race. And ultimately, we didn't. We got beat, but he come back dead lane. Yeah. And that was, the, that was the last race of his career. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, it's not funny, but they had x-rayed him right after the race, and the x-rays at that time didn't show uh, the fracture that he had in, in his coffin joint. But, you know, we found later um, that a lot of times those coffin joint, it's a bone that doesn't get a lot of blood to it, you know, in, inside the, the bottom of the foot. And they won't actually separate out for a day or so, sometimes even a couple of days. And they, uh, because originally they had x-rayed him that night and, and they didn't see a fracture and they were just going to send him to the farm. But I guess when he got to the farm, they, they found out that he had... Uh, fractured that that bone and and it's it's tough to it's tough to come back especially back then there's there's things today you can do um a, modern technology has advanced a little bit more it, it's still a really tough injury and and uh you know you have to think that he would have been even better as a four-year-old i mean he, he seemed like a big rangy type horse mm-hmm. so but that travers early on early on in his career he was uh I, I, I want to say the first time I rode him was a two-year-old at Belmont. Um, in the, is it the Futurity, the two-year-old yes. uh, race there at Belmont? And um, uh, he, he really didn't, he, he just didn't do everything right that day. And then he came back his second, the next time I rode him was a mile and an eighth at Aqueduct. And, I, and I, again, I don't recall the name of that race. Um, but that day... He didn't. He, he didn't want to change lead. He didn't want to come off his inside lead in the drive. And so, that day in New York at, at Aqueduct, the mile and an eighth race. That was the Remsen. The I'm sorry. That was the Remsen. Remsen, yes, thank you. Uh, but we turn up the backside, and I tried him one time to get him to change over, and he didn't want to do it. 
So I said, okay, by the time we get to the corner pole, you'll be ready to change. And uh, so I let him stay on his left lead, you know, in, until we turned for home. And then, then when I asked him, he, he switched over right away. Uh, and then even early in his three-year-old race, he was a little bit anxious. But when it came to Whitney, he dropped out the back door and then came charging hard late. And I think that was his forecast. You know, that, that was his strong suit. That's what he'd done again in the, in the, uh, in the Travers. Um, and, just, you know, just, just came home running. But, uh, yeah, really, really nice goal. I remember that Travers, it was especially, uh, uh, I remember it was a really cold, miserable day. And, uh, one of the reasons I, I, it sticks out in my mind was that the very next day, I left uh, to go to school in, in Tucson, in Arizona, and it was kind of a, a kind of a crappy weekend, <laughs> and and it it wasn't that it wasn't even that warm. I remember it was really damp and and cold and rainy, and and I I remember when I I got on the plane it was about fifty five degrees, and when I got off the plane it was about a hundred and ten degrees, so. <laughs> I do. I'll never forget that because it was kind of like, uh, um, you know, I I didn't even visit Tucson. I, I mean, I know you're from out west, but I had never even been out west. Uh, when I was a little kid, we'd go into San Diego when I was like eight years old. But you know, I just showed up in Tucson, and and I had no idea. You know, you you hear about the dry heat. <laughs> well, when it's 110. The, the the air it might be dry, but everything else is 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 steaming hot. It's just so. <laughs> it, it's just August in Tucson was uh it was a different uh, it was a little different. I I loved it. I mean I I was there for three years. It, it changed the course of of probably of my life as I wound up in racing for sure because of that. And but uh, I do remember that that day was so was be, be at Saratoga being cold. It just wasn't a... Oh, yeah. It was a cold rain. It rained hard. The track was sloppy, miserable. But the, uh, that was another thing. Java Gold loved the mud. He, he, he liked running in the mud. Yeah, and uh, Crypto Clearance, he loved the mud, too, and he, he finished second. I think you rode him at least once. Um, uh, yeah, I think I ran third in the Breeders' Cup Classic. I rode him a couple of times. Yeah. In a couple of times, I think he finished third in the in the Breeders' Cup Classic that year, at California. You know, he's another really good horse that um, that kind of you know falls by the wayside because of uh, uh, of that that year. There was so many so many good horses. Um, I mean, just looking at that that Travers Field, you, you know, Ali Sheba bet twice. Uh, there was a horse named in there named Fortunate Moment who was undefeated, and I think you had ridden at Arlington. Uh, he he was actually undefeated coming to that race, but he, he that that was a little bit more than he bit off a little more than he wanted. He could chew that day, but uh, po- Polish Navy, Gulch, yeah. uh, Chempered Sill, who was uh, Charlie Whittingham, Shoemaker came in to ride him, and uh, he got caught up in the pace. Uh, Leroy had put a horse named Gorky, who was um, who was also owned by Peter Brandt, and that was kind of Gulch's. Rabbit and and uh, they set a pretty a pretty good pace, which certainly helped uh, help Java Gold's chances as well. But mm-hmm. when you look at that race, I mean, we're, we, there's seven Hall of Fame jockeys. There there was seven Hall of Fame trainers, and um, you know Java Gold. I I know he accomplished quite a bit, but he still seems like he was a uh, 
a what if kind of horse. Like, what if he hadn't gotten hurt, and he what you know what what if what if he had come back as a four year old, and and uh, you know like Gulch is a four year old. He, he like we were talking about before. He, he changed tactics, you know, new trainer, but you know he he cut back and be, became you know the best sprinter in the country, and it just uh, it it's just uh, amazing, you know the 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 that that year the how many. The depth of the crop. I mean, we haven't even talked about a horse like Lost Code, who was that same crop, who, who uh, gave Ali Sheba and Bet Twice a scare in the uh, in the Haskell, and I think he won seven graded stakes or something like that that year. Um, mm-hmm. Candy's Gold, who uh, who was a, a you know top West Coast three year old, uh, Gone West, who who turned out to be uh, you know honestly turned out to be the best sire of the bunch. Um, Polish Navy was a great or simply majestic who who was a good three year old who turned into a, a really good four year old and um and and there was a horse like that that was been really forgotten and by the time you would run into Travers and and those fall races you rode the favor for the Derby that year a horse named Demons Be Gone yeah yeah Demons Be Gone led in the in the Derby and I had to pull him up and he was never. He was never right after that. He just wouldn't extend himself. Um, yeah, he was he was a favorite in the race. As a matter of fact, I had ridden him. I was riding him at Oakland, and, and I was riding Ellie Sheba for Jack in California. And um, Ellie Sheba at the time had a tendency to run right up to his last horse and want to lay over on him. And I'd ridden him in California. I don't remember the, the again, one of those three-year-old prep races. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finished second or third, but was lugging in really bad the last 16th of a mile and wouldn't run past his horses. And so I went out to dinner that night with uh, Jack and Mr. and Mrs. Scarborough, Scarborough and, and uh, you know, they wanted me to stay on the colt. But at the time, I was riding uh, Demons Be Gone, and uh, he was he was coming. He hadn't ran yet. His next start was going to be in the uh, Arkansas Derby. And uh, and then in the, the Kentucky Derby, obviously, and I think there was a million dollar bonus if you won the two star, uh, prep races, um, the Rebel and the Arkansas Derby. If you won the, those two in, in the Kentucky Derby, you, it was a million dollar bonus. Mm-hmm. He won the Rebel handily, and uh, subsequently won the Arkansas Derby handily, and then uh, in the Kentucky Derby, strangest thing, uh, you know, he, he came in the race fine, warmed up good. When the doors opened, he went to his knees. I mean, he stumbled bad. And I just remember crossing my mind, oh, man, the Derby. And, and uh, you know, usually when a horse stumbles like that, when they when they go to their knees, they'll be two or three or four jumps scrambling to get their feet up underneath of them. And surprise of surprises, the very next jump, he had his feet back up underneath of him. And I thought, oh, great. But he never got in the bridle. Um... You know, he was, from that point forward, he was losing ground. Yeah. Uh, you know, by the time we got into the first turn, I was like, something's seriously wrong. And I kept watching, thinking, man, he must have really grabbed his quarter bad or something. He, I kept thinking, you know, kept watching to see how he was traveling. Um, he was hitting the ground solid, but there was just nothing there. I'm thinking, something is, something's gone wrong. And so I... I Kept, you know, encouraging him a little bit and watching and checking on him. And finally, just past the half-mile pole, I said, you know, Silky Sullivan couldn't win from here. Right. I'd lost so much ground on the field that 
even if he was to, to jump back into it, because there was no way he could win. And I said, and I know there's got to be something wrong. And I hate to pull a, pull him up. I hate to ease a horse the favorite in the Derby. And at that point, I had no plausible excuse, except I knew that there was something not right. And when I just stood up and started to started to pull him up, he bled out of both nostrils so bad I was covered with blood. Time I got him stopped. Wow. I don't I don't know that I've ever had one that's <clears throat> that's bled quite as bad as he did. But I I think looking back, what happened? If you can imagine when he stumbled, uh, how how hard he had to strain to get himself back up the very next jump and get his feet back up underneath of him. And I think when he strained so hard, it just, you know, all the, when they bleed, they burst blood vessels down in their lungs. And and he just strained so hard that he popped them blood vessels. I think he was bleeding internally when we went under the wire the first time. Yeah. And it just, it took it, you know, uh, until we were down the backside before it, it finally, you know, finally started coming out of his nose. But uh, but that just really, really uh, shook his confidence, and he, he he never came back and ran well after that. Yeah, I, I don't ever remember him winning another race. I, I don't... You know, one of the things that's troubling about me in concern with racing is that it's so hard just to look up PP's past performances. I mean, they tell you so much when, when you look up at, uh, at old horse's past performance, and and you, you remember races that you you know that you had forgotten about that uh, you know uh-huh. things and and it just I think it's kind of a, a failure on our part in horse racing to not have that information available. I mean, we're talking about horses in the eighties. We're not talking about horses from the the eighteen eighties. So yeah. you know, it's it's uh, it would be nice to be able to just uh, go online, pick up you know, look demons be going up and 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 uh, you know see see his his total record, but. Even on Equibase, anything before 1992 is is uh, there, there just isn't much for details. But uh, um, I I do think uh, you you won a couple Breeders' Cup races that year too. I remember um, theatrical, theatrical, theatrical and epitome. Epitome, that's right. Epitome, uh, epitome beat Jeannie Jones, uh, Shoemaker, and Charlie Whittingham. Uh, Phil Oswald trained Epitome, and she got just got up the last jump. But she had a had a perfect trip. It was a mile out of the chute there at Hollywood Park, and um, you know the, the the fence opened up all the way around there. Uh, and I I came out to come around Jeannie Jones late in the stretch, and just got up, uh, you know, in, at the at the finish line. In theatrical, he ran a brilliant race on the grass for for Billy Mott, uh, beat Trimpolino, who who just won the arc in his previous race. Yeah, uh, you know, when I, I watched that replay again today, and Tom Durkin was calling the races, when Trempolino came to, to Theatrical, Tom kind of had, had Trempolino winning at that point. He, he thought he was going on by, and and um, you look like he had saved a little bit for for the last part because Theatrical really finished strong, strong, strong that last, uh, last eighth of a mile. Well, you know, I was I was biding my time and, and uh, really pushing for theatrical to, to possibly be horse of the year that year. Right. And uh, so I let I let Trump leave and come right to him. Maybe even put his head in front for just a jump. I hadn't squeezed 
theatrical yet, and uh, and when I did, I expected him to uh, to really blast away from him. Uh, Trippolino hung in there, and it wasn't wasn't quite as impressive as I had had hoped for. Right. Um, it was still a, a great performance. Don't get me wrong, but uh, we it, it didn't secure Horse of the Year honors for him anyway. Yeah. Well, the next. Uh... You know the the following race, the classic that that was a, one of the classic classics when Ferdinand holding off Ali Sheba, and uh, you said you were third in that race. Uh, no, I think I rode. I think I was third the year Arkangs. Arkangs, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yes. it, was, it was would have been the next year. Next year, okay. Yeah, yeah. that that was. Yeah. Um, yeah, Judge Angelucci was third. That was Whittingham's other horse. Uh-huh. I, I remember. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember Shoemaker used to say that Ferdinand was was very tough to ride because he'd pull up as soon as he passed the horse. You had to kind of kind of time it right so that uh, so that you um, you know you didn't you didn't move too early. And uh, that that uh, there was a couple of really unbelievable races uh, that he was involved in that year. The Santa Anita uh, handicap early in the year when when him and Broadbrush had that. That uh, that battle where Broadbrush got his nose down <laughs> seemed like he was uh, head for a nose the entire the, the entire mile and eight, uh, four, a quarter. The only time he was ahead was was right on the wire. But then Ferdinand uh, wound up winning one of those photos when when he won the uh, won the classic. But uh, yeah, that was it was a great year. Uh, Miesk, the great Miesk, won the mile that year um, at Hollywood Park. And certainly, she's uh, not only one of the legendary race mares, but one of the great brood mares of all time as well. And uh, didn't, didn't she win that race two years in a row? Yes, she won uh, the following year. At, at Aqueduct, the fall the, the, was it the next year she won, or the year before? The year before. The year before? Yeah. No, no, no. I'm sorry. The, it was the the next year uh, at Churchill. At Churchill. She okay. Won. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that was another day. It was uh, that was your uh, personal ends in Gulch, Ali Sheba won in the in the dark that year. I think that was the, yeah, that was seeking the gold. Yep, seeking the gold. That's right, Pat. Um, I appreciate you you giving us your time and uh, bringing back some some memories and trying to keep some of these these old guys that 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 did a lot. I mean, these horses were were really tough. Tough, you know, hard-knocking racehorses that that uh, that accomplished a lot, and uh, uh, I appreciate you, uh, you you coming back and, and shedding some light on them, and hopefully people will be able to go back and YouTube and and, and watch some of these races and, and at least have a little bit of a, a different perspective, uh, certainly on on the the races uh, that that you described. Well, I tell you what, uh, Chuck, it's been great fun walking down memory lane. Awesome. Um, you know, it's uh, it's fun to rewrite those races once again and, and uh, uh, just recall the the joy of victory. Let me or ask... as in the case of Demons Be Gone, uh, the agony of defeat. True. Uh, you, do, I mean, I know this. I asked, <laughs> I asked this question to Jose Santos last week. Um, because I see Jose all the time. He, he he's he's got a feed company down here, and he's a, he's always around. And mm-hmm. I said to him, "You miss riding?" <laughs> and he laughed and he said, I, "I miss the money, but he goes, uh, 
I, I don't miss not eating. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, and Jose's, uh, Jose would have to reduce to ride in a jump race right now. He, he's, he's not a, he's, he's a little bit heavier than he was, but, uh, you, 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 do you miss it? Uh, Chuck, you know, I don't, uh, you know, I enjoy opportunities like this to look back in the past and rewrite some of the, you know, rerun some of these races and, and enjoy the memories. But, uh, no, uh, you know, when, when I got the proverbial nod from God that it was time to close the book, uh, God done what only God can do, and, and uh, uh, he, he pulled it out root and all, uh, replaced that with a, with a burning desire to share the gospel, which that's what we're doing predominantly full-time, just going about trying to tell people about the awesome love of God that's available through our Lord Jesus. And um, at the end of the day, you know, I, I look back and, and I tell, like I tell people, when I look back at my career, I have to look down because I believe that what I'm doing today uh, in, in my efforts to share the gospel and, and share the love of Christ with people and, and ultimately have them come to the knowledge of the saving grace of our Lord and Savior uh, is decidedly more rewarding and fulfilling at the end of the day than the incredibly successful racing career. And the very reason that you know, the very thing that you're doing here, trying to uh, shed some light on some of these great old racehorses, you know, a hundred years from now, you and I aren't going to be here. And a hundred years from now, nobody's going to care that I had a, an incredibly successful racing career. Probably won't even remember me unless they go back and knock the dust off of the old history books. But those that I've, I've had an influence upon who have come to the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, have come to know and to love and to trust in him, we're going to be running and romping on streets of gold. Uh, you know, what I'm doing today, for the most part, has eternal consequences. And I really believe that the successful racing career was for that express purpose. Uh, it was to build a platform from which I could share the gospel. That is a perfect answer, I, and I do appreciate it. And um, like you said, uh, that chapter is closed, and, and, and now you're fully immersed in, in the new one. Well, and, and it is truly rewarding. You know, when, when, when I made the decision, when, when I came to that, when I got the proverbial nod from God, as I said, um, I was immediately tremendously liberated. Like, you know, I just knew that I knew. And the next week I went up to Saratoga, and on the way up there, on the, on the flight on the way up there, I'm thinking, boy, I wonder what this is going to be like, walking around the barns and knowing I'm not going to the jockey's room. And I was a little concerned. But what am I, am I going to have some anxious moments, uh, second guessing? I didn't. I had a great time. I uh, enjoyed my time up there. And, and so then I came back home and I went back to New York uh, to be with the, the chaplaincy up there during the Breeders' Cup. And, of course, there were several horses running that I would have been riding, and Breeders' Cup had always been very good to us. It was a great day of racing. And so on the way up there, again, I, I had those feelings like, hmm, I wonder what this is going to be like. Am I going to watch these horses run and, and feel envy or, or second-guess myself? or what, what are my feelings going to be? And I got up there and had the greatest time. I pulled for the horses I would have been riding for. Um, I just enjoyed myself. Uh, excited and enjoyed the time, but never once did I go, oh, man, I wish I was back out there. So on the way home on the plane, I'm kind of 
talking to myself and I'm like, what's going on? I, you know, how could you do something at that level, love it so much, and now it's like you don't even miss it? How, how, how is that? And then I got home and got busy and over the winter and so roll around springtime. Well, you know how things are here in Kentucky, springtime and derby. And I mean, everybody's excited and I'm getting excited with them. But again, none of that, oh man, I'm not going to be able to ride, you know, I'm not riding in the derby and, and um, none of those feelings. And so derby week, and you know how that is on the backside. Uh, you know, the atmosphere you could cut with a knife, it's just electrifying. It's just so much enthusiasm and excitement. Uh, so I went to the barn area. I went to the backside. And again, I just walked around. I saw people that you only see once or twice a year. Uh, you know, just enjoyed the excitement and the enthusiasm and the good time. And when I got in the car to come home, I started crying. I'm like, and I cried out to God. I said, God, what, what is wrong with me? Did I not ever love the game? What, what's wrong? What, what, what is going on? How come I don't miss it? And at that moment, it was like God spoke to my heart and he said, Pat, what I have for you to do, I can't have you looking over your shoulder. I can't have you talking to somebody about the love of God and looking over, looking past them at horses or in, in agonizing about not being out there. And with that, I let it go. I said, God, that you've done what only you could do pulled it out root and all, replaced that with a, a renewed enthusiasm to go in to share the gospel and the freedom that allows me to go to the track, all tracks, all races, any race, and and not agonize about not being out there. Uh, it, it's, it was, well, God done what only God could do. Yeah, uh, amen. I, I, I believe that uh, that's about... Um, that that's that's how I, I don't even have words for it to be honest with you I, I, honestly i i think that god worked in the way of of keeping your career alive enough in to help me because this way i was able to uh i mean i i knew you a little bit before i was was training on my own but you know you wrote quite a few you, you wrote a lot of winners for me in the, the few years that that you were continuing to to ride when i just first started out and uh and I do believe that uh, you know there, there's a reason that uh, that we you know wound up having a, a relationship and and like I said you've been a, a mentor in, uh, in, in many ways and, and helped me in a lot of ways and uh, I do um, I I, um, I cherish the, uh, that we uh, I have you and and I have the ability to uh, to reach out to you and 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 talk to you not just about horse racing things. Amen. Amen. Well. I've enjoyed the relationship and uh, and look look forward to it growing. Well, we'd love to have you back on, and uh, I know there's there's a lot of topics that are pertinent to a a Hall of Fame jockey these days, uh, considering they're changing a lot of rules regarding the whips and uh, the race. The race riding has gotten to be, uh, um, especially in in the New York Florida circuit pretty rough uh and and i'd love to have you back on uh, to, to talk about uh, to talk about those things at some point if, if that'd be okay with you absolutely absolutely all right um be, be, a, be a privilege to be on uh, be on your show anytime chuck pat i appreciate it and uh i just uh hoping for the best for you and and your family and i, I know you just celebrated a, an anniversary 
and uh, I want to again say happy anniversary. And, and I know your wife, Sheila, seems like she's doing better uh, from her, her health issues. And uh, that's, you know, uh -huh. that that's the important things in life. Racing is just a, uh, it's something for us to do in the afternoon. Yeah, it's not a life and death situation. That's right. Uh, that's for sure. Right. But, uh, yeah, we're, my wife's doing good. We just celebrated 41 years on Tuesday. And uh, as the Lord would have it, I was able to bring her home from the hospital on Monday evening. And even though she wasn't feeling very good uh, on the day of our anniversary, we got to spend it together here at home. And uh, so that was that was very special. And she's getting better every day. So Great. Uh, we're, we're excited about that. That's awesome. All right, Pat. Well, again, I, I appreciate it. And um, you have a good rest of your evening. And, and uh, uh, again, I, I can't uh, I can't thank you enough. Anytime, Chuck. And, you know, uh, on the other thing, you, you got any questions, uh, you just need somebody to pray with or pray for, pray for you, uh, issues, give me a call. Close to the phone, brother. You got it. Thank you, Pat. All right. You're very welcome. A safe and happy Fourth of July weekend to you, and we'll be in touch. Thank you. Certainly. Oh, it's a thank pleasure. You. Thank you, Chuck. Bye now. That was uh, Hall of Fame jockey Patrick Day. I told him I needed like 10 minutes, and... He gave us 40. So we are going to uh, end today's show by saying that uh, tomorrow we have another podcast tomorrow night that will be out. And this one is kind of introducing uh, a new player to the game, kind of uh, out with the old and with the new. Uh, Nicholas Tomlinson, who is the main assistant trainer in South Florida for Mark Cassie. We had a, a nice conversation with him, so we'll be playing that uh, for tomorrow's podcast. And I hope that um, you enjoyed today uh, the, uh, the ability to get to have someone like Pat on to talk about those those races and those horses that are, I mean, 33 years ago, so it's it's easy to forget. And but um, there's so many, there's so many like that that uh, I really would like to try to make that a weekly thing. Um, honestly, one of the toughest things when we're talking about horses from that era and before is that um, a lot of the trainers aren't with us anymore, so got to be a little bit more creative and to find people that were around horses that knew the stories and a lot of times jockeys don't have all the insight but they have insight and they can tell you a lot of the things that that happened while they were riding the horse and some of the backstories and um and it really it was tough for me today trying to find information just routine information um, about horses from the 80s and I know this sounds like a broken record but we've got to be able to have that information it's, it's there's no excuse for racing not to have that race that information accessible and it's it's really um, it's something that uh, I think it hurts the game and I know that a lot of ways, if we can't show those in power how something will be monetized, 
where they're going to see an immediate dividend, it's hard to get them to invest in it. But I think that there's so much of the history of the business that, that uh, and so many great horses that people would appreciate and, and would would really be interested in. And I, I know the video quality is not what we're used to these days, but um, there's so many great horses and great stories that uh, it can still be told. And I'm going to try and, and uh, use my, 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 my meager resources to try to, uh, to get as much information as I can and, and try to do these at least uh, every other week and uh, you know bring back some of those, uh, those old war horses and, and uh, the stories that, uh, that they uh, that, that need to be told. Anyways, thank you for listening and uh, tomorrow we have our our Friday podcast. Monday we have a special co-host that's going to be uh, announced soon and next Tuesday we're going to have a live show again from 2 to 4 on blogtalkradio.com so uh, this schedule seems like it's worked out pretty well and hopefully people can uh, can download and, and, and listen to these podcasts and if you have any feedback at all, please don't hesitate to um, reach out on Twitter or uh, on our Facebook page, Going in Circles podcast Facebook page, Going in Circles um, podcast at Twitter or Going in Circles podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can be as critical as you'd like. If you have a horse or a trainer or a jockey or someone you'd like to talk to or talk about, uh, have questions, anything, just uh, just let us know and, and, and we'll do the best we can to, to try to bring that to you. Good night. <laughs>